بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا من فضلك علما وتعليما إنك على كل شيء قدير اللهم طهر قلوبنا من كل وصف يباعدنا عن مشاهدتك ومحبتك ومحبة رسولك آمين يا رب العالمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله This is lesson 3 from module 10 which covers the Fard'ain knowledge the individually obligatory knowledge concerning matters of the heart and as we've said a few times in the past couple of classes, there is a reciprocal relationship between the heart and the limbs, or the heart and the tongue. Meaning that the state of our heart, for better or for worse, affects the way we speak and the way we act. And the way we speak and the way we act also has an effect on our heart. So if we do what is good, sincerely for the sake of Allah, that has a positive impact on the heart. If we work on treating the heart directly, that also has an impact on what we do. Uh, and whether that is doing good and avoiding evil, or having more focus and attention in the good that we do, so there is always this reciprocal relationship. And when we talk about the Fard'ain matters of the heart, we are also looking at the effects of those matters of the heart, how they manifest outwardly, as you'll see in most of the examples we give tonight. Uh, in the previous two classes, as we were talking about matters of the heart, we said that uh, fundamentally, there are two things that we have to do. Inwardly, that also involves actions. The first is takhliya. Does anyone remember what that means? Takhliya. You got it. To remove the bad. Yeah, to get rid of the bad. And then after that, or corresponding with that is or adorning or beautifying with the good. So it's not just about getting rid of the bad. It's about also adorning ourselves with the uh, beautiful qualities of the heart, the beautiful actions of the heart. So they go hand in hand, but we tend to start with the, the process of takhliya, of getting rid of the bad first, before we talk about adorning with the good. As Imam Sufyan al-Thawri rahimahullah was once asked, which is better to say astaghfirullah a lot, to seek Allah's forgiveness a lot, or to say phrases like subhanallah or subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanallah al-azim, the tasbih and the tahmid. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that if your garment is dirty, you wouldn't perfume it until you first get the soap and get rid of the dirt. You get rid of the dirt, you remove all the things that are soiling your garment, and once your garment is clean, then you can perfume it so you, not, you don't just look nice, but you smell nice. Likewise, seeking forgiveness is the process of takhliya, seeking Allah's covering and forgiveness and getting rid of the bad and then with that you come with the good. So we're talking about takhliya first and then we talk about the tahliya. And as we said uh, last week, I think it was, the, the basis for what we're covering in the next couple of classes is from a book, a poem in fact, uh, of a great Mauritanian scholar by the name of Sheikh Muhammad Mawlud. Sheikh Muhammad Mawlud wrote a poem entitled Matharatul Qulub, or the purification of the hearts. And in this poem, he talks about the diseases of the heart, 
how they arise and how they are treated. After that, he talks about the positive qualities, the beautiful actions of the heart and the different uh, spiritual experiences a person has that are positive and what they are and how they're acquired. And we, we alhamdulillah, we taught that book or that poem uh, in, uh, in two consecutive years in Ramadan. So I don't remember what Ramadan it was. It, it wasn't this one, the past. It was, was it the one before that? 2020 and 2021. My, how time flies. Uh, in, the, in 2020, we covered the uh, blameworthy qualities, the, the things that require takhliya. And then the year after, we covered the positive qualities. So those lessons, it's about, I think, 28 or so for each, each part. So and it's over 50. Uh, you can go back to the YouTube channel and find all of those. Whatever I'm presenting today is really just a, a synopsis of what's in that class. It's a lot more abbreviated here because we're just trying to cover what they are without going into too much detail. You know, in the books, uh, and in the scholarly discourse, if they talk about a disease, they'll tell you, well, wh what is the name of this disease? Uh, what is the meaning of this name? Uh, what are the verses of Qur'an that speak about it? What are the hadith reports that speak about this disease? What are the narrations from the Sahaba and the Tabi'un of the second generation uh, and others who came later about that disease and how it manifests? Um, what are the various forms it takes? How does it rise? What are the narrations that encourage us to get rid of it? Right? They go into a very detailed discourse into each disease so you understand that, that spiritual psychology, if you will, for lack of a better term. We're not going to do all that. We don't have that kind of time. We're just going to cover them uh, one by one using that book as our, our mainstay, our umda, our basis. Now, the work Matarutul Qulub is a poem, and he lists out the diseases in alphabetical order in Arabic. So the first one starts with the letter Ba, and what you understand is that he's not listing them in order of severity. So he's not starting with the worst and ending with the least harmful. He's just arranging them by alphabetical order. So we're, we're going in his order. Some of these are definitely worse than others. Some are more widespread than others. Some are harder to get rid of than others. So as you'll see, some of these, as you learn them, they may seem very familiar because you may struggle with them or you have. Others may not really ring true for you because you don't really struggle with it. Everyone has their own struggles. So here's the list of these diseases. Uh, we're going to cover the first five, inshallah, and then some of them we'll cover rather quickly in the next couple of sessions. So we have uh, a number of things here. I won't read them all out there in the slides, but we're going to cover one through five. So miserliness. Does anyone know what's that, what that's called? In, Right, it's called Bukhul. Starts with the letter Ba, Bukhul. The next one is wantonness. In Arabic, that's Batar. Batar. Think of it like hubris, like prideful hubris. We'll get to it. The third one is false hatred. In Arabic, that's Bughd, which means hatred, but here it means the negative false hatred because there's a positive one. Uh, the fourth one is love of the lower world. So that is from the letter Ha, Hubud Dunya. And number five is Envy, Hasad. And those are the ones we're going to cover tonight, inshallah ta'ala. So we start with Bukhul. Bukhul is stinginess, it is miserliness. And uh, just as a historical uh, point, uh, one of the great early scholars of Arabic literature uh, by the name of Jahilth. He has a book called Kitab al-Bukhala, The Book of the Misers. And it's a collection of stories uh, about miserly people. And 
it's an interesting book to say the least because it gives you all sorts of wild and crazy stories about the lengths people have gone to show miserliness and stinginess in their daily life. Now, when we talk about stinginess, we have to define it and uh, look at the parameters of what of it is haram, uh, to what extent is it a disease of the heart that is obligatory to know about so you can get rid of it. Uh, Imam Muhammad Mawlud, he says that it is the refusal to give what is obligated according to the Sharia or virtuous conduct. So Sharia or Muru'ah. And when he says obligated, he means it's either obligated yani wujuban, as, as a wajib thing, or it's obligated yani in the sense that it is mustahab. Yani it's huwa amrun ghayr jazm. It's mustahab. So an example, uh, if a person uh, refused to pay zakat, that there's no clearer example of miserliness than that. Um, to refuse to support one's family or to support those financially whom one is ordered to take care of. They just refuse or they cut corners, things like that, uh, or to give rights to others financially that they have to give. That's obviously coming from a place of miserliness. Likewise, uh, miserliness shows up in nitpicking. So to be generous means you're not nitpicking over trivialities. Uh, I always use the example of counting, counting the chicken wings. If the family cooks the chicken wings, if people are counting like, okay, there's six of us and there's ten of those, so who gets how many? We, we're going to cut this one and you get that piece. I mean, it is what it is when you have children, but to, be, to nitpick over it with someone when you don't have to, that can be a form of miserliness. Uh, another form of miserliness that is not mentioned in the text, but should be mentioned, is to hear the name of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and not invoke salat and salams upon him. And this is directly from a hadith of the Prophet وسلم, who says, Al-Bakhilu man the stingy person, the miserly person, is the one who, when he hears my name mentioned, he does not invoke salat upon me. So the scholars differ. Is that wajib every single time or just one time his name is mentioned in a gathering where it's mentioned many times? But that can be a form of miserliness too. Now the scholars are very careful to note also that just doing your bare minimum of paying what has to be paid uh, doesn't keep you out of possibly being stingy or miserly. If you just do the bare minimum, you pay the zakat and you fulfill the rights of others, technically you have fulfilled the rights. So they can't take you to a qadi, for example. So technically you fulfilled the rights. But you can still have the disease of miserliness. Because if you pay the zakat, uh, grudgingly, yani not from yani nafs, you know, not uh, willingly, gladly. That you could fulfill the obligation, but the disease is still there. You understand? Because this is about character, and character is something that is built into you, is developed, or you're born with it, and from it things happen naturally. Right? So the generous person, for example, the opposite of Bakhil, that generous person is generous even if they're 100% broke. Even if they have not a single dollar to their name, they're still generous because they are generous of soul. They're generous of spirit, whether they have money or not. And the miserly person is miserly whether they have money, they have money or don't. Whether they have paid those obligations or not, if it's not done out of good cheer and willingly uh, and not grudgingly. Uh, so that is important to remember. Now, uh, the ulama say that bukhul, miserliness, is worse when it's towards a neighbor or a relative or when it's towards 
uh, or when it's from rather a wealthy person. So if a person uh, is bakhil towards their neighbor, they don't even extend ma'un, you know, small niceties, small help. Uh, they are bakhil towards their relatives. That's worse than being bakhil towards a stranger. Likewise, if a person is wealthy and they show bukhul, that is worse than a person who is, doesn't really have a lot of money and they really have to really be careful about their budget. So they are very tight with the money. They may still be guilty of bukhul to an extent, but it's less blameworthy for them than it is for someone who has a lot of money. That's just the, that's just the facts. It's likewise blameworthy when a person is miserly when hosting someone. You know, they don't want to go out of their way to do anything besides give them a glass of water and a potato or something. You know, they're just miserly with the food. Uh, also, if they're being miserly and haggling over the price of a burial shroud. You're going to wear this when you die. You're going to haggle over the price of something you're going to wear when you die. Or, they say, haggling over the price and being stingy with paying money for the ulhiyah. Right? Of course you can negotiate a price. But to haggle and try to get the best deal and to the point of being... This is a sign of stinginess. Um, and lastly, paying zakat reluctantly. So these are all aspects of bukhul. What is, where does it come from? Where does bukhul come from? The ulama say that at the root of it, and really at the root of most of these diseases, is hubbud dunya. It is love of the world for its own sake. And the craving of the nafs, the ego's craving after the things it wants, and those things they want require money, so they're miserly because if they are not, they don't think they can get what they want. So it's, it all goes back to hubbud dunya and craving, right? Imam Ali radiallahu anhu wa karramallahu wajha, he said that the worst person, you know, the most miserable person, is the miser. Because in this world he's wretched and in the hereafter he's punished. So the miserly person suffers in this life and in the next. Uh, just like the hasid, by the way, the envious person. They suffer in this life because they're just penny-pinching and they're so stingy, they don't really enjoy what they have. Because they're always haggling and holding back. So they don't really benefit from what they have in this life. They're, what do we call them? What's the Scrooge, you know, the Uncle Scrooge? That's a cultural reference that maybe not all of you know. But uh, Uncle Scrooge or, uh, you know, that, that whole character in the movies, the penny-pinching guy, even though he has, like, half of the pennies in the world, he's still penny-pinching. That person's miserable. And they're going to be miserable in the hereafter because they're punished for that disease of the heart. Now, how do you treat this? Uh, now, the ulama, when they talk about these treatments, and you're going to keep seeing this over and over, when they talk about the treatments of the heart, they tend to mention uh, the theoretical treatment, you know, this is what they call Dawa and nadari You know, it's basically having an understanding of things. Having a deep understanding that you really take to heart. Having realizations about reality. That's theoretical. Nadari in the sense that they reflect on it. Right? And then there's the treatment they call Dawa'ul-Amali, the practical treatment. Meaning things you can actually do to treat that disease. So Imam Muhammad Mawlud says, treat stinginess by realizing that those who achieved affluence did so only by exhausting themselves over long periods of time, thus finally accumulating what they sought. Meanwhile, just as they approach the heights of earthly splendor, death suddenly assails them. What is he talking about? What he's telling you is, think about it. A person pinches pennies and saves and they, they do everything right just so they can have that nest egg when they retire. And right around the time they retire, that's what? Let's say the earliest you retire is, I don't know, let's say 55. 
Let's say that's an early retirement. Here it's 65, isn't it? 55, 60, 60, that is the time period when the chronic conditions start to appear. People start to get sick. They start to see the effects of long-term diet and lifestyle and being sedentary all those years. They got away with it in their 30s and 40s, but these things often start to creep up in the mid to late 50s and early 60s. So even once they've done all that work to accumulate you, with their miserliness, they don't have much time to enjoy it. And they get to a point where they would rather have health, but they can't get that. They can't. And what's interesting, because we are now in the month of Muharram, and in the month of Muharram, as you know, it was on the day of Ashura when Sayyidina Imam Hussein radiallahu anhu was martyred. And before he was martyred, he gave a speech to the people. And in that speech, he actually spoke about this. He was talking about uh, those tyrants who were demanding he pledge loyalty to them, which he refused. And he said to them, and I paraphrase, uh, that you are amassing the things of the world and vying for sulta, for power, exercising tyranny so you have political control when you're only going to enjoy it for five to ten years and then you die because you're at that age where that's really all you have left average lifespan back then 60s 65 he was telling them you have about five or ten years uh, to enjoy this power you gain unlawfully by murdering people so he's reminding them of this fact so people do all sorts of things uh, that are haram, that are really damaging to their heart for amassing the world, amassing power and influence. When, when they finally get it, they can only enjoy it for a limited amount of time. And then they die. So that's what he's reminding us here. Just think about those kinds of people. Where is your stinginess going to lead you? It's not going to make you happy. Um, so this means you reflect on the state of those people. Uh, also, we reflect on the words of Allah Ta'ala in Surah At-Takathur. Al-Hakumu At-Takathur hatta zurtumul maqabir. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala says, your mutual amassing of more and more and more distracts you. Al-Hakum. It causes you to forget your purpose, to forget what is truly important. And it mentions here it's mutual. It's not just one person. It's other people doing it and they're competing in it. Reflecting on that, that's a theoretical treatment for this disease. He says also you treat this by recognizing the disdain shown to misers and the hatred people have for them, even hatred among misers themselves. He's basically saying that no one likes stingy people. No one likes stingy people. Just like no one likes liars, not even liars. Stingy people don't like stingy people. They don't like stingy... They are willing to be stingy and miserly themselves, but if someone treats them in that miserly way, they don't like it, and they don't like that person. Just like a liar may lie, but doesn't like to be lied to, right? So if they don't like themselves... So reflect on this. You don't like them. Why would you want to be like people you dislike? That's what he's saying here. If you do this, you can uproot that miserliness. But this is all theoretical. It's all based on reflecting and thinking and pondering. There's a practical treatment too. Something that you can do. Uh, Imam Muhammad Maulud doesn't actually mention what that practical treatment is. He just gives theoretical. Imam al-Ghazali gives the practical and he says the way you treat miserliness is to give. But not just give here and there. Give until it hurts. Purposely. So you know, you, you come prepared to, to slip a 50 or a 100 in the sadaqah box because it doesn't hurt. You can still be miserly. But if you give to the point where you can feel it, hmm, that doing that time and time again can treat the miserliness he says that's a practical treatment because it requires you do something not just think about it 
Uh, Imam Muhammad Maulud says, with this same treatment, you treat the person whose heart's ailment is love of wealth. Because they go hand in hand. So the way you treat the love of wealth is the way you treat miserliness and vice versa. The point of it all is to develop uh, an abundance mindset. And people use that term in, you know, in uh, different spheres, people say this. Have an abundance mindset, but it's true. You have to have an abundance mindset and not a scarcity mindset. Now, in the pre-modern world, you know, say 200 years, 300 years ago and beyond, to earn resources required a lot of work. And it still does in many parts of the world. And scarcity was a real concern. You ever see these, you ever see these shows or these pictures of these minimalist houses, people living the minimalist lifestyle, where they, they can put everything in a bag and they have a, they have a single bed and you know, a couple of things here and there. And the rest of the house is completely empty. It's so sparse. And it's touted as a lifestyle, uh, as an answer to the mass cu- accumulation of stuff that you see uh, in North America, particularly to the point that we have TV shows like Hoarders. But what people don't realize is you can only be uh, a minimalist like that when you have infrastructure around you. You can be a minimalist like that because if you need a utensil, you can go down the street. If you need this or that, you can buy the food outside of the house. But go back a hundred years or just leave the so-called first world to live in a rural environment. It's not about being minimalist or not. You need tools to survive. You need farm equipment. You need things to process the food and cook it. You need things that you can repair tools with. You don't just get rid of stuff to be living a sleek, minimalist lifestyle. So scarcity was a real concern, and that's why people didn't get rid of things. They would recycle them and reuse them and refurbish them. They didn't just buy something like, oh, the dial, the paint on the dial scratched off. Let me just throw it away and buy something new. They weren't like that. So scarcity was a real concern. Uh, So the generous person back then and today is the person who does not have a scarcity mindset. They have an abundance mindset. And one of the highest examples of the abundance mindset is Sayyiduna Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu. When he gave all of his wealth and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked him, what have you left behind for your family? And he says, I left for them Allah and his messenger. Right? He can make the money again. He knows how to make money. But he has an abundance mindset. And he knows that if he's given all the money to Allah and his messenger, the messenger of Allah وسلم, gets to decide what to do with it. And he will always make a better decision. So as far as he's concerned, he's gained. That's an abundance mindset. This is what they call shaja'at al-nafs, bravery of the soul. So that's, these are some of the things to consider when treating stinginess or miserliness. Uh, someone may ask, what's the difference between miserliness and stinginess? Uh, there's no real difference. However, in Arabic, you have two different words. You have bukhl and you have shuh. Uh, shuh would be avarice. So it's, it's stinginess plus bad behavior. Whereas miserliness is just an internal state that may or may not manifest in bad behavior. So, now we go on to the next one. Uh, that one's quite long. Uh, the next one is Batar. Batar is not an easy word to translate. Uh, the word here is wantonness. Another word is hubris. And there's different meanings for it. Uh, some say it means the inability to bear blessings. Some say it means bewilderment or dislike of something you feel you don't deserve. Uh, Mirth 
extravagance. Imam Muhammad Maulud says is excessive mirth. But what is mirth? Just think of hubris. Think of a pride mixed with conceit over your state and what you have. And you can understand this when you look in Surah Al-Anfal where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ خَرَجُوا مِنْ دِيَارِهِمْ بَطَرًا وَرِيَاءَ النَّاسِ وَيَصُدُّونَ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Don't be like those who left their homes in a state of batar filled with excessive pride about their state showing off to people and preventing others from the way of Allah So, what's the difference between batar and arrogance then? Uh, arrogance is arrogance, we'll get to that Batar is basically the disease of the privilege thinking that their wealth and goods uh, make them better and so they live their life as if they have so much more than others and they can get away with more that, that's the gist of what batar is now here I say in the slide it's the state of the one who thinks that his material wealth makes him better than others it is a state of hubris that results in arrogance disdain of others and obliviousness to others needs so think of it like arrogance that's why we'll just discuss this rather quickly because in arrogance we'll talk in more detail about what kibr is and how it manifests Imam Muhammad Mawlud he tells us to treat this disease you treat it with hunger and the remembrance of the hereafter reminding yourself that Allah says uh, that he does not love the excessively joyful which deters uh, poetry has to be unpacked so what he's referring to is the verse where Allah Ta'ala says that he la yuhibbu al-farihin he does not love the farihin the people who are joyful that's not really that translation doesn't really capture what's being said because that verse is not saying that he does not love people who are happy and there's other verses which praise farah قُلْ بِفَضْلِ اللَّهِ وَبِرَحْمَتِهِ فَبِذَارِكَ فَلْيَفْرَحُ In the mercy and grace of Allah, let them express joy. So what does it mean when Allah commands the expression of delight and then He says He doesn't love those who are farihin. The farihin here means they are, they are people who are exuberantly joyous to the point of pride, arrogance, uh, and blindness happy about what they have oblivious to others to the point that it it takes them to a state of hubris where they think well I have all this it must be because I'm so blessed if I wasn't blessed I wouldn't have all of this therefore whatever I do is fine because I'm blessed look what I have so I'll do this and I'll do that because I have it made so that is the exuberant joy that Allah is condemning in this verse so Allah Ta'ala is reminding us that is the state of people he destroyed consider the story of the two men in Surah Kaf the, 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 the garden right his attitude he felt that having this lush garden meant that he is favored by Allah and he doesn't believe in the last day but he says but if there is look at what I have now that must mean that Allah is happy with me so surely if there is a day of judgment I'll also get Jannah in the hereafter because I have one now it's hubris is blindness that comes from thinking that wealth automatically means you are uh, a better person right there's a hadith of the Prophet وسلم, where he says that Allah gives wealth to those he loves and those he doesn't love so having wealth is not a sign that you're divinely favored. We don't believe in the prosperity gospel of some of the uh, Protestant denominations who think that having the goods of the world is a measure of how close you are to God. That's a false belief. Uh, the next one is بغض. And what's interesting about Arabic is the words themselves give you a hint about their meaning. Think about this. 
What is the word for peace in Arabic? Salam. Salam. And the word for hatred, or what's the word for war? Harb. What's the word for love? Hub. Right? And the, the word hub, if you look at the makharij al huruf for the tajweed students, it encompasses, it starts, you have the ha, and then it ends with the ba, so it fills the, all the makharij, it goes through all of them. Hub. So it starts here and ends here. So it fills the person. Hub. And what's the word, what's the opposite of hub? Bogd. Right? It sounds very heavy. That's what we're talking about. And bogd is hatred, but here we call it false hatred. And that is because there is a true hatred that is virtuous. And then there's a false hatred. So Imam Muhammad Mawlud, he says, uh, false hatred for other than the sake of Allah. However, this will not be harmful if a person dislikes their internal state and they do not act in accordance with it. So hatred is not necessarily a disease of the heart because we are required by the command of Allah and His Messenger وسلم, to have hatred for disbelief, to have hatred for oppression, to have hatred for uh, crimes and immorality, uh, anything that Allah and His Messenger have forbidden, we are required to dislike that thing, right? But when that hatred is not for the sake of Allah, when it's due to a person's ego, that is not a sharia reason for hate. That can be a disease of the heart, especially if it's acted upon. That will be a disease of the heart. Now, we should clarify here, uh, because Islam is not a religion of hippies who just say love, peace, and flowers. It is balanced. We have love, peace, and flowers for some, but we also have things that we hate for the sake of Allah. The Prophet wasallam says in the hadith, uh, the firmest handhold of Iman is loving for the sake of Allah and hating for the sake of Allah. So there are things we love for the sake of Allah and things that we hate for the sake of Allah. When it concerns people, we don't necessarily hate their essence. You know, if someone is doing something really bad. If they're an evil person, we say we hate that person for the sake of Allah. It's not that we hate their essence in the sense that they are just ontologically, we just have hatred for just the essence of who they are as a human being. It's because of what they say and do. Because if they made tawbah and changed, then that hatred would be transformed to, uh, if not outright hub or love for the sake of Allah, at least a basic allegiance on the basis of Iman. So if we, we, if we hate a person for the sake of Allah, we're hating them because of the qualities. And you, you have to leave that space for them to change, for them to make tawbah. You can't hate them to the point where even if they changed, you just still hate them. That's it. You have to leave some space for them, for them to repent. What Imam Muhammad Mawlud is talking about is hating other people with a false hatred that's not based on sharia is just based on ego that person you know they just rub me the wrong way so i i hate them right now he says if you don't act on that hatred and you don't like the fact that you have bad feelings it's not a disease it's something you're struggling with right but if you have that hatred and you fan the flames of the hatred by you know thinking badly about the person and backbiting the person and attacking them any chance you get, uh, you're acting on the hatred. And it's a false hatred because it's not for the sake of Allah. It's not based on a, a reason outside of your ego. That is a, a disease. And he says that for you to treat this, you have to do the hard thing and pray for that person. Think about that one person in your life that annoys you to no end. We all have them, right? It may not even be someone you know. It could just be someone out there, you know. They just really irk you. You see them online. You just... Mm. 
If that dislike is not for the sake of Allah, based on a clear standard in Sharia, it's just your ego, try making dua for the person. I guarantee you, you'll feel less of that, that negativity. It'll diminish. Make dua for them. Find out why you have these feelings. The reason why you have the feeling might be due to some other disease. Could be envy, could be jealousy, it could be some resentment. And, and we'll talk about those in the coming uh, class or two. Uh, another thing you could do is speak good about them, if it's possible. I mean, it's not always possible, but, but that's one treatment too. Uh, how much time do we have? Okay. Uh, I'm, I don't know if we're getting to hasad. I didn't anticipate to go this far into bukhul. Uh, the next disease, so we have bukhul, we have batar, and we have bogd, the three baz. Now we come to ha, which is hubbud dunya, the love of the lower world. That is a sin of the heart, because it's an internal quality, an internal action. Imam Muhammad Mawlud and others say, that as a sin of the heart, love of the world is sinful when it is loved solely for the benefit of the ego without it being a means that facilitates seeking the pleasure of Allah or seeking it to protect others from one's hand, tongue, uh, or burdening other people. All right? There's a long conversation about how we view the dunya, uh, how we understand matters of money in relation to spirituality. But the ulama are very careful to say that love of the dunya is actually divided according to the five legal rulings in Sharia. So you have the five legal rulings we know are wajib, what's next? Mustahab, recommended, Mubah, neutral, Makru, disliked, and Haram. They say that love of the world also fits into these five categories. So that means there's some love of the world that's wajib. You have to love the world. Some forms. Some are Haram, some are recommended, some are disliked, and some are neutral. What concerns us the most are the the love that is wajib and the love that is haram. Those are the two that concern us. It is not a disease of the heart to pursue money, to you know, pursue dunya, if the intention is to be free of needing others and burdening them and asking them for things. There's great freedom in that. There's great dignity in that. Uh, that's not a disease if that is your intention. So the scholars say that uh, for the haram type, the haram love of the dunya, they say, and they're so precise, if the love of something in the world is for the purpose of getting something haram, then that is a haram love. So if it leads, if your pursuit or your love of the world is in pursuit of something haram, haram states, haram actions, then that love is haram. Because you know, that love causes you to pursue it, leading to that haram thing. So it's a haram love because it leads to haram. If it leads you to a state or an action that is wajib, then you have to love it insofar as that's the way you attain it. So if you love something in the world for the sake of fulfilling an obligation, then you have to love that much of the world because it's the way you attain, the way you fulfill that obligation. So they give really clear examples. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ was in dunya. So he's in dunya. So you love the dunya in so much as the Prophet ﷺ tread upon this dunya and he was in the dunya and he showed us in dunya how to live in dunya, right? So he's in the world but not of the world, right? Love of the Kaaba. The Kaaba is 
it's a bunch of bricks it's material from dunya right so you you love the kaaba even though it is of the world or it's from the material of the world you love your parents you love the awliya and the salihun and they are alive in the world they're created of material substance you love books of knowledge or you love that beneficial YouTube channel that gives you useful knowledge things of the world but it benef they benefit you uh, you love money that you use to spend on the needy or to take care of your dependents or to keep yourself from asking others or being a burden so that kind of love of the dunya is not loving the dunya for its own sake it is loving that aspect of the dunya by which you fulfill something obligatory or by which you fulfill something recommended and wholesome does that make sense so when we talk about love of the dunya it doesn't mean you know we hate waterfalls or we hate nice beautiful pristine forest and nature ah it's dunya that's not what it means it ta it, we, we, when, we, when you have these hadith speaking negatively about the dunya it means the dunya insofar as that thing that pulls you away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's it so if that thing is not pulling you away it's not dunya in the negative sense right so there's different perspectives there um, many of the ulama they say that it is disliked to put a great effort into accumulating vast sums of money because it runs the risk of not fulfilling the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they mention different afat or pitfalls to accumulating vast wealth they say things like hirs and tama' uh, where you covet uh, the things of the world and you have this extreme des desire to accumulate more and more to the point where you accumulate through unlawful means that's one of the pitfalls another pitfall of amassing dunya is a person can become stingy in withholding wealth to the extent that they even withhold their zakat you know it's interesting the biggest withholders of zakat also tend to be the wealthiest people it's not the people who are on the bottom rungs of society who have wealth above the nisab usually it's people who have far beyond their needs who are withholding zakat or yeah uh, it also leads to batar that pride of people who think that their money makes them better than other people uh, vast sums of money accumulated can also lead to atafakhur this vying and takathur vying and boasting about one's wealth and it can lead to a person using the wealth for haram things right so it's important to have that perspective even if you're trying to amass a great deal of money because these are pitfalls to watch out for at the same time we need to have a healthy perspective especially in this day and age because just as amassing lots of money has pitfalls likewise poverty has pitfalls too right poverty has pitfalls because a person can be poor but that does not automatically make them virtuous a poor person may suffer from envy they may suffer from resentment because others have what they don't they may start to crave what others have because they don't have it they may humiliate themselves for money and they may even reach a point of having displeasure with the decree of Allah and that's very dangerous to their Iman and you find uh, this is a longer conversation but you find a very healthy perspective on wealth among some of the early Imams from the third and fourth generation particularly uh, you have for example Imam Sufyan Thawri whom we quoted earlier he said it is far preferable to me to earn money through doubtful means not clear-cut haram but just mashbu you know they're not it's ambiguous it's a gray area 
He says, it's far more beloved for me to earn uh, money through some ambiguous means or doubtful means than to be in need of asking other people for money. Because with adequate wealth to take care of your needs, you don't have to ask people. And in this day and age, <laughs> the, the, the more financially secure you are, the, the, the freer you are to say what you really believe. Right? People often don't say what they truly believe about things because they're just afraid of getting canceled, doxxed, fired, losing their jobs. Right? So the more financially secure you are, the greater freedom you have to say what you truly believe and to be true to yourself and your convictions. So it, we don't condemn money for its own sake. Right? The, the dunya, as some ulama say, it's like a toilet. You need the toilet. You know, you, you, you have a bathroom in your home. You have three bathrooms, two and a half bathrooms. You need to use the restroom because you have natural needs. But you don't get attached to the toilet. You don't live in the bathroom. You don't wear, you know, people have gold necklaces with the dollar sign medallion. You don't have a toilet medallion, right? You use it because you need it, but you don't get attached to it. So that's the approach we should have to dunya. We don't say, oh, bathrooms are dirty, bathrooms are bad, so we just shouldn't have bathrooms at all. No, you need it, so use it to the extent that you need it, but don't get attached to it. So, but if you have it, there are pitfalls to watch out for. And if you don't have it or you don't have enough, guess what? There are other pitfalls. And that's why uh, we have this early debate in Islamic history. Which one is better? Al-Ghani, Al-Shakir, the, the wealthy person who is thankful, or Al-Faqir, Al-Sabir, the poor person who is patient. Which one is superior? What do you say? We can ask uh, the young men from the youth group. Which one is superior? Huh? Well, that's what you argued, right? What did you say, Iran? Hmm? The rich person. Yeah. Well, the answer is it depends on the person. Okay. It does depend on the person because a person could be very wealthy but the wealth causes them to go into all sorts of hedonistic pleasures and haram and they just forget their hereafter entirely. They don't have shukr. Right? So they wouldn't even have the ability to have shukr. The, some poor people, as a result of their poverty, may be so envious and resentful and hateful, displeased with Allah's qadr that it's not good for them. Uh, and they need, you know, Psych they really need to be in a better financial state to be protected against those diseases that are hard for them. So it all depends on the person. If the person can bear things patiently uh, and they will be tested by wealth, then maybe for that person it is better for them to be poor and patient. Uh, if the person would struggle with poverty, spiritually speaking, uh, but they are capable of being truly grateful for what they have, then for that person, it's better to be wealthy and thankful. There is no one-size-fits-all answer for every single person. But that debate existed in the early history of Islam because there's hadith and verses which praise gratitude for blessings, and there's hadith and verses which praise being patient during times of poverty and tribulation. So the ulama discuss, well, okay, all things considered, which one is better? Which one is better? And it really all depends on the person, right? Uh, ultimately, what is best for you is what Allah chooses for you in which you can show in that moment the best ubudiyah, the best servitude to Allah, doing exactly as He asks of you, whatever it may be, right? The Prophet ﷺ, you know, Imam al-Subki, he says, you cannot call the Prophet ﷺ faqir. So we don't say he was faqir, but he was tested and he had sabr. He dealt with uh, loss 
and lack in financial constraints and he had sabr. And he also received blessings uh, within the world. It opened, it, up, it opened itself up to him and he was shakir. And he received the opportunity for the mountains of Tihama to hurt, turn to gold and he turned it down. He said, وسلم, in the hadith recorded by Imam Tirmidhi, he says, no, I prefer to be fed one day, to be full one day so I can thank Allah and to be hungry the next day so I can plead to Allah. So really, you know, everybody's going to have something to be thankful for and something to be patient over. So you can't escape either. But uh, the point here is, we talk about the disease of loving the world. Don't think that by stripping yourself of the dunya that you escape uh, uh, other, other negatives. Because there's pitfalls associated with wealth and there's pitfalls associated with poverty. Right? So inshallah, I think we'll have to stop here. The, the next one was on hasad, envy. And, and that's a big one. And so maybe it's best that we stop now. So we'll cover, we'll cover envy uh, next week and about five or six others, maybe more. Uh, we'll see. Uh, the, again, the goal is not to make this very detailed, but uh, if you want details, we have the Mataratul Qulub classes from Ramadan a few years ago online at the website on uh, the YouTube channel. Wallahu rasulu a'lam wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam We have a f- some moments, some minutes before salah if there's any questions Sometimes like you have like a hatred for the tyrants So, and there might be some nafs involved in there too Because you might not share the political beliefs Is that still like honoring laws or like some of the things that they do uh, Suppressing the people if you hate them for their oppression, then that's a proper, that's a proper hatred, because if it's for the sake of Allah. If, and here's how you tell, because you're asking, is it, maybe there's some ego there. There's a litmus test. If someone, if you say that you hate this politician, let's say a prime minister or president, because of their oppression towards these people if you hate them because of that oppression and it's a sincere hatred for the sake of Allah you will hate anyone who behaves in the exact same way for the exact same reasons but if you hate it from this person but you make excuses when someone else is doing it because you already like them that's telling you it's some ego right if you hate the behavior of this person but your friend does the same thing and you don't hate it and you make excuses for it maybe that hatred is tinged with ego but if it's for the sake of Allah you hate it no matter who is doing it right if this oppressor is one I disagree with politically he's still an oppressor if this oppressor is uh, agrees with me politically He's still an oppressor if he's doing oppression. So the litmus test is whether it's uniform for anyone who's doing the same thing for the same reason. Like I don't, and it gets confusing because sometimes people do things and we say, oh, you know, they didn't mean it or, you know, political conspiracies. I don't mean that. Think about some clear cut example, you know. Person A does something, that's haram. You don't like it. Person B does the exact same thing and you have a soft spot for them. Why are you taking this stance towards person A but not towards person B? If it's because of your relationship, okay, fair enough. But that means maybe there is some ego involved. Yeah. 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 We hear this a lot. They say, hate the sin, not the sinner. Well, here's the thing about the sin. Uh, The sin is not a physical body. You can't point to the sin. You can't put the sin uh, in a box and put it in your car and drive it to the dump and dump it out. The sin is only embodied by a person. 
right? So you do hate the sin, of course, as an idea. But to say you hate the sin and not the sinner, uh, it's not really possible uh, when the sin is only done by a person, right? So let's be, let's be clear. Someone does something haram, you don't like what they did. Doesn't necessarily mean you now hate them, right? But you have to hate for the sake of Allah uh, what they are doing. You're not necessarily hating them. There are some people that we may hate because they are in the embodiment of evil and darkness, right? Tyrants and oppressors, right? But we don't say, oh, we hate the sin and not the sinner. It's not entirely accurate, right? Uh, But at the same time, we're not saying it's an ontological hatred of just the person for who they are. It's because of what they are embodying. That's the reason why we'd have hatred for a tyrant. So tyrant A is hated not just because of their tribe or their family or whatever. It's because of what they do. If they never did those things, then we wouldn't have hatred for them because they would be tyrants. Does that make sense? If they stop the tyranny, if they repent and make amends, then maybe we wouldn't have hatred for them because they're no longer tyrants. But we still hate tyranny no matter who it appears from. So I wouldn't say it's an absolute yes or an absolute no, but we do separate between the person and the act, but the act is not disembodied. You know what I'm saying? It, It is done by someone. It only happens because someone is doing the action. Uh, but if they give it up then we wouldn't have that feeling towards them but the feeling is towards them until they change not just love for them while hating their action and treating them like we would treat others that we love right we still we would distance ourselves from them we would speak out about them when possible if we had the ability to stop them we would right does that make sense Well, it's not an assumption that anybody who's wealthy will be shakir and that anyone tested with poverty will be patient, sabir. It's the, the question that was asked early on and debated was, if there's a person who is wealthy and grateful, and there's another person who is poor yet patient, between these two, all things considered, is, is there one superior to the other? And which one is it? And that was the attempt of scholars to weigh between the, the different virtues of both of these. It was really an exercise in, uh, an exercise of the mind. Because ultimately, everyone who, even people who have wealth and who have shukr, are also tested and have to have patience. And people who are poor and who are tested also receive immense blessings and have to have shukr. So ultimately, there's no one who can say that, oh, I'm wealthy and shakir, I'm not sabir. Oh, you have to have sabr even in wealth, right? And using it for the right way. Uh, Sabr in that obedience. And if you're poor and patient, you're also receiving Allah's blessings. So you still have to have shukr. So we wouldn't say it's a pointless debate, but it was more of an exercise of looking at uh, comparative virtues and how some people tend to be more psychologically suited to one over the other. You know, there are some people, they can, they're just built that way. There's just something about them. They can live in poverty and they have absolute sabr and shukr and they're good to go. There are other people who if they're in that state, it's so disturbing to their soul that they really don't do well. And they do better when they 
have a, a higher standard, it, it kind of frees them up from that anxiety over wealth, right? So for that person, it kind of frees them from the pitfalls associated with poverty. It all depends, yeah. I mean, I, we, do, we do them all. We do them all. When we talk about takhliya and tahliya, getting rid of the bad and adorning with the good, uh, don't think that means you have to get rid of all the bad before you do any good. That's not what it means. But, assuming that a person is fulfilling their obligations, more or less, uh, preventing harm takes precedence over getting benefit. Right? That's the, the principle in Islamic law. That's one of the qawaid. That darul mafasid muqaddam ala jalb al Averting harms takes precedence over obtaining benefits. So all things considered, you want to get rid of the bad as a priority while maintaining the obligations, the things you should do positively. And once you get a, a grip on that and you are dealing with that, you start to add in the positive things to enhance and beautify. Not that you have to be perfect and get rid of all bad before you do any good. That's not what it means. So in the question of, you know, what is better, istighfar or as-salatu uh, ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or tahdeel, it all depends on the person and the particular state they're in uh, but it's really never about choosing one over the other. Because if you look throughout history, Islamically, in Islamic history, all of the mashayikh, when they talk about dhikr, they give the three formulas as the spiritual medicine. They say, begin with istighfar, and that is the tathir, right, the, the cleansing. And then As-Salatu Ala Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Which is the Ta'atir It's the perfuming And then there's the Tahleel of La Ilaha Illallah Which is the Ta'amir so you, you, know, you, you, you clean all the dirt out of your house Then you burn the Bukhur And then you rearrange the furniture That's what they give So that's the medicine It's never about choosing one over the other uh, we, have, we should have a share of everything Right? But if a person just finished falling into the haram, what dhikr takes priority? Astaghfirullah. Right? So, yep. Any other questions? Khair. All right. We'll see you all next week. Inshallah.